Hi, I'm Ryan Lynch. And I'm Amanda Johns. Welcome to season two of our weekly podcast, Worth the Work. Each week, we attempt to educate and reduce the stigma around issues related to therapy and mental health. We try to infuse humor in often difficult topics. And we stay authentic as we work to reinforce the reality that therapists are people too. This season, we'll be focusing on relationships. And not just the romantic ones. Let's do this. Let's go. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Oh, I'm lovely today. How are you? I'm cold. Well, that's because it's negative 12 degrees outside. It's not. But it feels like it. It does feel like it. It's supposed to snow. Of course, by the time people hear this, it will have already maybe snowed. Or maybe not. Or maybe not. Maybe it will snow again. Because really, the best job in the world is weatherman. You can say whatever you want. They'll believe you. You know what I think is a great job? Okay, that's off topic, but sure. It's actually not because uh, we're talking about relationships. It's called and, a segue. Right. It's a segue. Segue. I, like um, I was going to segue into who our guest is today. Because what is season two all about, Ryan? Relationships. Right. And what better job and what better like relationship job to have than that of a doula? Doula. Doula. Tell us, Jennifer. <laughs> so we have a guest. Hello. What is it that you do? Who well, are you? What's your yourself. name? Yes. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. My name is Jen Hines, and I am a birth doula, hoping to be postpartum doula. Um, I'm also a sex educator Woo-hoo. and a relationship coach. All of the things, it's all connected and wrapped into one. Um, but I know that we're going to talk more about the doula stuff today. And a doula in a really general sense is an advocate. They're an an advocate, they're an educator, they're a support person. So in my work as a birth and postpartum doula, it's all around being a support person um, for people in transition during that time. So there's other types of doulas as well. Well, let's let's just take away one of the stigma things. And I didn't warn you about this question. I just thought about Ooh. it right now. Um, it. So doulas have historically gotten sort of like a bad rap of being like hippy dippy people that are just mm-hmm. sort of like out there um, doing way crazy things, not caring about science, not caring about safety, that they're just all about just free birth with nothing <laughs> and love and nothing. And while that's all great things, what can you, how can you demystify the role of a doula? Yes. So some of that I think also comes into play of like understanding the difference between a doula and a midwife. Okay. So a midwife is a healthcare provider. You know, a midwife is your doctor. They are the person helping with the delivery of the baby. They are the person who's checking vitals. They're the person who can give medication. You know, as a doula, I'm not a healthcare provider. And really a doula's greatest job is to provide the evidence-based scientific information, 
right? So, so many times people go into birth and pregnancy and as we know, sex education in this country is not great. So yeah. that's the understatement of the day. <laughs> yeah. We right? talk about um, how not to have it, but not what to do once you have. Yes. Yeah. We're not taught literally anything about it. And mm-hmm. so I come in and say, all of this stuff is happening or is going to happen with your body and it's normal because when you're not talk about it and then these crazy things happen to your body, you think it's crazy things and you think something's wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. Also just of what we're taught about birth is what we see in movies. Yeah. It's, it's a woman on her back. Yeah. She's screaming her head off, you know, cussing out. Cussing out the traditional husband standing there. Yeah. Yes. The husband is, is passing out or Mm -hmm. he doesn't, he's so clueless. He doesn't doesn't know what to do. do. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and demystifying that to clients of that, that happens, but that is not like the most, uh, people's reality. So for me, especially with education being the basis of what I do, it's really about, these are all of your options. This is the evidence behind it. This is the science behind it. And it's not that, oh, you just show up at the hospital and have your baby and the hospital figures it out. You have a million options Mm -hmm. everywhere in between in that. And people don't always understand that they have options. And it's not just, oh, whatever my doctor says is what happens. So the doula doesn't push the partner out of the way and take over. Yes. No. Okay. Huge. A huge part of what I do is also being a support person for the partner, you know? So how can I help prepare the partner to know their strengths and what they want to do? How can I be a calming and empowering and a knowledgeable presence for the birthing person and the partner? And so some people don't have a partner. They don't have support people and their doula is that person. Some people have an amazing supportive partner and I am a support to both of them in conjunction. So is this something that, you know, every person who's pregnant should have a doula or what? It's a great question. I would say yes, of course. Slightly biased, just slightly biased. But the reality is, is even if you are the most knowledgeable person, even if you are an OBGYN who's giving birth or a midwife who's giving birth, right? Obviously these people understand birth. They don't maybe need the information, but giving birth is a wild experience, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm sure as a mom, you can attest to this and we still need that support. We need that emotional support, that spiritual support. Um, so with the birth doula, 100% and with the postpartum doula, a million percent, Mm -hmm. right? Bringing a new tiny human into your home. We need support. We need help. Like we can't do it on our own, right? It takes a village. And that statement is so real. Um, So 100%. And I'll say both of my biological kids, I had them 19 and 18 years ago. And 19 and 18 years ago, yes, we know I'm older. Um, 19 and 18 years ago, doulas weren't a thing. Um, You know, the Leche League was involved, but it was more of a um, 
hardcore, like, you know, if you do this, you're a great mom. If you don't, you're a terrible mom. And we're going to tell you how to do it. And if you fail at it, then you failed. Um, and the birth was not, um, as sterile as like, say my birth would have been in 78. However, it was the nurses that made or made, made or broke my, my experience. Um, and in one of my births, I remember having just an amazing nurse who walked <coughs> alongside me and supported me. And I got really jealous years later when I realized that people had the ability to have like doulas, to have people in there to support them through the whole process. Because as a, as a pregnant woman and as a new mom, it would have been so amazing to have somebody there who like kind of like knew what I needed before I knew that I needed it. Yeah. And so many people, you know, just as midwives are one of the oldest professions ever, um, you know, doulas and that support person, it might not have always been called a doula, right? Like a lot of doulas are our family members, are Mm -hmm. our moms and our sisters. Um, And so many people still don't even know that they're a thing, don't know what it is, or they they think it's a midwife. And so there's still a lot of confusion around it. And a lot of, um, it's not accessible to a lot of people, right? Like doulas aren't covered by insurance and can people pay for that out of pocket or do people understand the, the benefit of maybe not spending a million dollars on a nursery, but putting some of that money aside for a doula instead. So there's a lot of different things. Do you ever think there will be a time that insurance recognizes how much it will save them in the long run to have this service? So I feel like it could go either way. I I hope so. Um, I mean, studies show that there are better birth outcomes when doulas are involved. So yes, Um, but this is also to say that C-section rates go down when there's a doula involved. And so is that not in the best interest of insurance companies? Okay. I'm not quite sure because there's a lot of money being made there when people are in surgery and in recovery and Mm -hmm. anesthesia and all of that. Um, So I don't know. I, I would hope so. I would hope that in the best interest of birthing people, it would be an option at some point. And how much does a doula typically cost? Like, is there like a price range? Is there like sliding scale? Like, how does that work? Yeah. So a lot of people might do sliding scale. It's anywhere from free. Um, Either some people might do some pro bono work. Some some people might do some sliding scale work. Um, I would like to get, I would like to get to a point where, I am able to do, you know, two pro bono clients a year, maybe, Mm -hmm. um, teenage, you know, teenage pregnant people, you know, people who really need that that support. Yeah. Yeah. Need that support and advocacy. Um, and then, you know, regular rates. So I'm all virtual right now. My rates are $500 for the whole package. Some people charge $2,000 for I was was about to say like, you're you're cheap. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that's like my virtual package at the moment. Um, and it will go up in the future at some point, but yeah, anywhere from free to a couple few thousand dollars. Okay. And everybody's packages are different. You know, mm-hmm. I do about three prenatal visits where we do some planning and then some education. 
of course, on call and there for the whole birth, labor, delivery, and then one or two postpartum visits. And so that's going to look a little different between every doula for Mm you know, how many pre and post visits do they do? Some people wrap in yoga, if that's something that they do. Some people wrap in photography, if that's something that they do. So it's like very person to person. Okay. For the hospital births that you're attending, are they letting you go in for the deliveries right now? It's a great question. It is kind of a cluster. Okay. Mm. And not for any, um, reasons that anybody is making sense of, right? So they, it is hospital to hospital right now. Okay. Some hospitals, um, are letting in doula. Some hospitals say, no, you can only have one support person. So you can choose your doula or you can choose your partner and you have to choose. Some places are saying you can have your partner and your doula. Um, but your doula needs to sign this sheet of paper Mm -hmm. and, and show their certificate, which is also a bunch of BS and is a whole conversation of like certification. And <laughs> um, so it's really hospital and the conversation is constant. And a lot of doulas are doing a lot of advocacy right now around that, but it's, it's rough. Yeah. So I'd, I'd like to know a little bit more about, uh, you know, cause we, you talked about the pre-birth you know, the, the prenatal and then the the postpartum. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you do in the postpartum? Yeah. So postpartum doulas are lifesavers. Um, again, it's person to person. It can be, it's really a time to make sure that, you know, parents are getting rest, are getting fed, aren't stressing out about the laundry have the support, have somebody to cry to, have somebody to talk to, have somebody to hold their hand. So it's anything from helping with breastfeeding, if that's a way that they're feeding their baby, um, to I'm going to do a load of laundry for you, to I'm going to hold the baby while you go take a nap, to I'm going to make you lunch. I'm going to go get you groceries. Mm. Um, It's kind of whatever that person needs, that person is there for them. and everybody who has a new baby should have a postpartum doula. I want one now. now. <laughs> I don't have a new baby. Can I get right? one? I can, I, so I'll play with my dog while I'm taking a nap. That'd be great. Right? Right? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Well, and, and, you know, I think, like, I would imagine one of the bigger things, especially because you're so big into education, is to talk about postpartum depression and yeah. kind of demystify that a little bit. Yeah, that's a huge piece of um, some doulas will just do one postpartum visit and that's it. And they train you that your biggest job in that visit is to check for some signs of postpartum depression and anxiety, which I think doesn't get enough um, talk. Yeah. We hear a lot about postpartum depression, but not enough about postpartum anxiety, Good point. Yeah, you know? And so people experience this just like overwhelming anxiety mm-hmm about either the baby or the house or their life or whatever. And they're like, well, I'm not, I'm not feeling down. I'm not feeling depressed. So that Mm -hmm. must not be it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a huge piece of it is knowing the signs and being able to talk to somebody and say, yeah, it's hard, but what you're feeling is normal or yeah, it's hard. And this isn't normal. Let's find you some help and being Mm -hmm. able to really 
find that for people. Right. Well, and I would imagine the best practice would be to do more than one postpartum visit. Cause yes. I know with me, when I first had my second child, I wasn't having severe postpartum at the beginning, but mm-hmm. I did have it a couple of months later until she was about 18 months old and it didn't get picked up. Mm-hmm. So I would imagine that, again, best practice would be to do more than one postpartum. Yeah, I 100% agree. So my packages will have at least two. Um, If a birth doula client, you know, at least two sessions. And that's another thing with the midwifery care model is the same thing of you see your midwife a lot more regularly, a lot more times after you give birth. Whereas if you give birth and you have an OB, you see them at six weeks and they yes. say, oh, okay, you're ready to have sex now. Right. Bye. Sure. <laughs> That's kind of the conversation. It literally, that literally, I, I have no doubt. literally is the conversation is you can you're let like, your husband know that you're ready to have sex. Yeah. And you're like, well, yeah. maybe, maybe I'm not actually right. ready to have right. sex. That's not yeah. important. Well, and I yeah. think too, the, and, and this is not all OBs because obviously there's really, you know, well-informed OBs out there. Sure. Um, but there are a lot of OBs that still fall in the model. And, and this was actually said to me that when I was having my postpartum after my daughter was born, um, and I, I wasn't wanting to have a relationships with my husband or anyone, the doctor actually looked at me and said, well, your job's to be a mom now. That's why it's all changed. Wow. Right. And so then I was like, okay, well, it must be something that I'm not getting. It must be something that I'm doing wrong as a mom. And of course, now I know that that's not true. And it felt wrong when they said it. But here's this doctor telling me that my problem is that my role has changed. And now my Mm. job is to be a mom. Mm. So to have a compassionate. (laughs) Well, and that's why there's so much shame tied up in stuff like postpartum you know, depression and whatnot. That's right. Yeah. And being able to, I'm, I'm going to be launching a course this year about getting your sex groove back after pregnancy and birth. And a big portion of that is like reclaiming your identity outside of parenthood, because so much of that is, Oh, you're a mom. Now you're a dad. Now you're a parent. Now that's all Mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, there's, that's an added, that's an, it should be an added bonus. It shouldn't right, wipe everything right. else away. Right. Well, and I think even just a conversation with moms and dads on the boobs are still serving the same purpose after that they did before, yes. even if there's milk coming yes, out. Yes. Cause right. it's, you know, even cause again, normalizing those. Changes, right. Cause again, yeah. like we, like my husband and I brought it up in our pre-birth class at the hospital. We were looked at like we were crazy because I'm like, how am I going to deal with with knowing that like I'm feeding my child from this and that my husband's also going to want them? Yeah. And and we were like literally shamed for bringing this topic up. So, again, I am all for it. I love it. I love it because my favorite thing about this is yeah, almost always had to have sex to have the baby. Right. Right. But let's not talk about that. And let's not talk about doing it again. Right. Right. It's just that one time. Yes. Because that's normal. And we shouldn't right. well, talk about You can have ab- wine yeah. and just take care of your baby because that's what your job is now. Right. Just yes. drink wine and you'll be fine. Drink the wine. You can have sex. Yeah. And then take good. care of the baby. Oof. Yep. But don't breastfeed the baby after you've had the wine in order to be yes. able to have. It's all healthy. It's a healthy circle. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Lots so of stuff. What, what I think it, it would be important here is can you tell us a little bit about the normalization of childbirth for whatever 
that is, you know, <laughs> because there is no two similar childbirths. But mm-hmm. tell us a little bit that something like the fact versus fiction type. Thing. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't, I can't throw the date at you, and nobody would remember the date anyways. Sure. But at some point in time, this medicalization of birth um, started to happen, and that was when the fear started to get baked in of it's this medical thing, and it's going to hurt, mm-hmm. and so it needs to be this medical thing and we need to have these interventions and we need to have these drugs. And we've been fed that now for so many years that that's how we assume birth is. We think birth is this medical um, experience and it's not, it is a physiological event that happens every day. You know, mammals are doing it all the time. The animal world somehow does it without. Yes. I mean, I've needed interventions a few times, but most of the time right. they Sometimes plop them those, out on their own. Those goat shoulders get stuck. Right. Not <laughs> bring up your goats one time. That's all I'm asking. Just... Oh, I love it. Um, and, you know, so bringing back this idea of these are normal physiological, biological experiences that, yes, do sometimes need medical intervention but not placing this, it's a medical experience first. Um, I'm not sure if that even was answering your question. (laughs) No, it was. It definitely was. Um, So where, and I know the answer is probably going to be, it depends, but where do you kind of stand on the hospital versus home birth versus Mm -hmm. birthing center, that kind of discussion, let's say. Yeah. So this is kind of, for me, the essence of what it means to be a doula in that the client drives the bus. Right. And if my client feels safer at home, then 100%, that is where I want them to give birth. Of course, unless there are other, you know, outstanding high-risk circumstances that makes that not, not a possibility. If my client feels safer in a hospital with an epidural, with all the things, great. Like if it's a birthing center, whatever makes the client feel safe, mm-hmm. because the second we don't feel safe, our adrenaline goes up and that messes up the whole, all of the other hormones that are helping mm-hmm. labor progress. Mm-hmm. And so it's really about that. It's really about the client. And I will, you know, take clients in a, in their, in their home, in their small South Philly apartment, you know, at a hospital, at a birthing center, whatever feels best for them. And like, I go back and forth on what I might want someday, you know? Um, and so it's really, I let the client lead in that, in that arena. I have a, I have a question, something I've always wondered. Okay. So this one will be good. (laughs) Shut up. So I, I had both of my um, biological children in the hospital, okay? And they immediately were given, you know, whatever, I think like- it's Vitamin K. Yeah, thank you. I wanted to call it special K and I'm like, that's a drug. <laughs> that is cereal. That explains so much. So much. Um, but I know that they're given vitamin K, their blood sugar is checked. Um, you know, then you get the, the birth information brought to you that you fill out, which- makes you get the birth certificate and it's all sort of like handled, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm a mom and I'm giving birth in my home, I've chosen to do a water birth. I've chosen to just be in my, my home. How, how does that part like work? 
Yes. So since midwives are licensed healthcare birthing professionals, they are the ones who would handle all of that. So your midwife would handle the birth certificate for you. Um, some midwives even take insurance. So like, that's another thing. Mm-hmm. Um, also some midwives work in hospitals, which is a whole other thing as well. Yeah. Um, so the midwife would, would handle that. And when it comes to, you know, doing the APGAR testing, testing their reflexes, giving the vitamin K shot, um, I would say a lot of times in home birth, you have a lot more autonomy over, do you want any of that done slash when do you want it done? Mm-hmm. Right. Like the APGAR testing needs to be done. Um, it's a matter of when rather than we're going to instantly take the baby away. Right. Who's just come into this new world and is in yes. it sort of stress. Right. And start poking it and sucking its nose. There's um, usually, it is more provided as an option for when these things or if these things happen. Granted, they are still options in hospitals. Mm-hmm. It's just not always presented people don't realize that way. It. Yeah. Right. yeah. And I know a lot of people are hesitant to even question doctors or yeah. Yeah. ask questions. So if that doctor doesn't tell you, right. then you just assume it's not an option for a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. And people need to remember that your doctor is working for you. Like Mm -hmm. you are the boss, you are paying their check, you know, and you can literally turn down anything. Like unless you're flatlining on the bed, you can turn down absolutely anything. You can say, I don't want that drug. You can say, I don't want that cervical exam. Mm -hmm. And and doctors are humans. Like doctors are people just Mm -hmm. like us who don't know everything, who make mistakes, who have different beliefs than us. And when we stop kind of like putting people on pedestals like that, it kind of like brings us back down to reality a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, and being a sex educator, what does sex 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 educator? She shells by the she shore. Sex, Ryan. Sex. sex. Thank you. I'm the Good worst sex therapist ever. <laughs> so as a, what does a doula and sex positivity have to do to, with each other? Yeah, I think so much of it is being able to incorporate the empowerment and education that people are still sexual beings when they're pregnant mm-hmm. and after they're pregnant and what does that look for that look like for them? How does that change for them? What are they struggling with in their sexuality during those times of huge change socially, hormonally, physically? Um, and just being able to openly talk about it, you know, yeah. in in any sort of way. And also so much of what I do, even in I, I also teach childbirth classes is I'm going to teach you anatomy because you probably didn't learn it in the sex ed you never got, you know? And how can we use sex and sexuality to make birth more enjoyable, make it more manageable? Um, I just did a post the other day about orgasms and labor and using that as a pain reduction tool. 
Um, you know, there's so many ways that it can be incorporated and to not feel like we have to separate the two or that, you know, when your identity as a parent comes into play, that you're no longer the sexual being or that when your boobs are feeding your baby, that they're no longer sexual, you know, that it's, it can, it can be a yes. It can be both. And Mm -hmm. very good point. Very good point. Well, I'm just sitting here wondering has it always been, do you think like the, the, the sort of like male led culture that has sort of bent childbirth into what it is mm. or has bent um, the way women's, I mean, I, I know the obvious answer for me is yes. I'm just wondering as a sex educator and a childbirth educator and a doula, is that also the sense that you get is that women sort of have an idea of what they want and have an idea of how they feel, but it becomes skewed by sort of this male dominated culture. Yeah. I mean, when medicine, you know, has been dominated by white men in this country since forever, and we see childbirth as the system that can only exist in the medical world, Mm -hmm. then for sure, you know, and it, it was interesting and one a question that came up when I was in my doula training and something that a lot of new doulas struggle with of this like, I've never had kids, so can I be a doula? And it's like, excuse me, how many OBGYNs right. are cisgender men? Right. Mm-hmm. Like, they're not worried about it. Yep. <laughs> right. So why are you? Right. right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. exactly. Mm-hmm. So I would say definitely. And hopefully that's with people understanding more about doulas who can provide that advocacy for them to not feel like you have to be coerced into X, Y, and Z that was a system not even made by somebody who can give birth. Which is a real like mind twist. Like, like I'm sitting here Mm -hmm. listening to this. I, I obviously agree with all of it and I'm comparing it to what you know, my experience was or what the experience was for other people's whose birth I witnessed. And I'm just, it's, it's, it's just a really new way of thinking that that, like I know is the right way. And also totally twists with what always has, right. What I experienced and what has always been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A hundred percent. So after the baby's born, so the baby has come out, what is your role in helping to um, cause I'm real big on attachment and bonding. That's one of the things that I love in my work. What is your role in helping the baby to, um, and the, and the mother to bond and to get those bonding chemicals going with whichever parents are there to, to be part of this? Yeah. So a lot of what, um, any birth worker preaches and, it's really evidence-based and foundational now and most hospitals are doing it, but that instant skin to skin contact, right? Like gets that oxytocin rolling, um, helping with breastfeeding if that's how they're choosing to feed their baby. Um, and yeah, just being there to answer questions. And I think again, this idea of like, you're normal, even if like you're feeling a little crazy, um, and your baby's going to cry and that's okay, you know? And so, uh, you know, 
definitely the support with the breastfeeding and the skin to skin and the normalizing whatever is going on as long as it's healthy and okay and normal, of course. Well, and and I'm thinking too, so like some of these um, moms giving birth have partners, some don't. For those that have partners with them, is there anything that you do to help the partner to feel like they are part of that Mm. sort of experience instead of sort of like standing off on the back, not knowing what to do? Yeah. I mean, one of the biggest things that I'm preaching to partners is like, you know, your partner who's giving birth better than anybody else Mm. in this room, except for themselves. And so take advantage, like, you know, like, you know how to comfort this person when they're in labor. And even if partner is breastfeeding. And so you feel like, well, what can I do? Cause I can't breastfeed. There's a million other things, you know, mm-hmm. bring, bring them some snacks while they're breastfeeding, change the diapers, um, you know, find your own time that you can build in with baby to get that bonding going and skin to skin with, um, the non-birthing parent is also so important and it's Mm -hmm. the same chemicals get going. Mm -hmm. And, um, so it's still, it's super important for both parents to do the skin to skin and, and have that alone time and that bonding time. And maybe it's, you know, if one parent is breastfeeding, maybe the other one is like bath time is their thing. And like, mm-hmm. I loved, I love bath time with babies as long as they yeah. love it. Not everybody yeah. does. <laughs> that was great. That's um, right. But, you know, find that, that thing that's, that's our thing. And that's what we do together. And that's our bonding time. And I love that you keep talking about the skin to skin contact. Um, because that's something that used to be reserved just for like NICU babies when yes. they were super worried about the NICU baby and only after the NICU baby could be taken out of the incubator. And mm-hmm. so the fact that it's become so mainstream is something that like those of us in the attachment world are like, oh my God, this is no, finally, oh, right? Why did it take this <laughs> long? <laughs> So simple, like the monkey, the monkey, um, I know exactly study. what experiment, yeah. <laughs> Whatever Harlow was that, yeah, what that horrific, yes. horrific experiment. Yes, like come on. Well, and and I think like you know, like you said, normalizing that the baby's going to cry, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean you're doing anything wrong. I think because that that is something that's so simple yet so much of a mainstream thought. Like if my baby's yes. crying, it's something, and I'm failing as a right. parent to provide it. Yes, the normalizing the crying and. Mm-hmm. And you can't, um, you can't spoil a baby. No, you know, holding your baby all the time and wearing it and, you know, letting it fall asleep on you when you're rocking it, like you're not spoiling the baby and this, like, I need a regimented schedule and all of these things that it's just like, no, it's all normal. It's a newborn. This human just came into this world. Like they're going to cry. They're going to well, scream. I, I think too, normalizing that there's like a reason that babies tend to be awake at night. And that's because like, yes. you know, you, your body was like not rocking it to sleep all day at right. night. And so the baby's used to being awake and like floating around and doing whatever it does inside the uterus at mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. Um, cause that was one of the things that was really interesting when I was working with young moms was that they couldn't understand why the baby's schedule was so wackadoo. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, there's a reason mm-hmm. yes. you're awake and moving. You're rocking the baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. 
That's a good point. That's great. What else, right? Well, so um, what uh, other services do you provide? Like you told, yes. you talked a little bit about the class you're developing, which I definitely want to hear more about. Yes, um, I'm developing a few classes. So super excited about the like getting your sex groove back after birth and pregnancy. It's going to be, I think, a six session course. Um, I have a childbirth course that I've been doing, doing another one in February. I have my doula, my birth, um, birth doula work. I do coaching on various things, um, mostly relationships, whether it's your relationship with yourself and dealing with like self-worth stuff or your relationship with your friends or your partner, um, sexuality education. I really focus on LGBTQ issues and, um, relationships. So kind of all. You're all over the place. It all wraps up together. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, and so, and then I wrote, um, an ebook over the winter. What year is it? Um, and it is a workbook specifically for couples. So the educator in me, what is it called? It's called loving forward. Okay. And you can, it's for sale on my website. Um, and it's a downloadable PDF. You can print it. You can just read it on your, on your computer or phone. And it's, it's a workbook. It's worksheets, it's conversation prompts, it's templates on all of the hard topics, sex, religion, politics, kids, housework and chores, um, I'm missing some, but all of you the get things the that should be discussed, like in couples therapy, right? In couples in, therapy, in a, in a relationship, and and before you like make long term commitments to one another, yes, or a baby, or a baby. Or a baby. Well, yes. Yeah. So ideally, world. you know, this is for like we started dating and we just became official, or we just got engaged. Yeah. Um, but or I've we've had been married twenty people... something years, and we've disconnected, and now we need to reconnect. reconnect. Exactly. Perfect. Spot on. So we'll be uh, purchasing that shortly. (laughs) So what is, what is this website? Where can people find you at? Yes. So my website is jhimed.org. So j-h-i-m-e-d.org. So it's like, um, it's like um, the opposite of J-Lo, (laughs) J-Hi. Remember. Jen Hines, And we can put it on our website too, and our resources. Yes. And my Instagram is at j.hi.m.ed. And I'm dropping all sorts of gems there. Very Um, good follow. I will highly recommend it. Thank you. Super, you know, it's really fun. I'm having um, somebody do a takeover for me tomorrow. So that'll be really Mm. cool. And all, all things, birth, sex, relationships That's great. is what's happening on the gram. That's awesome. awesome. Okay. Well, thank you. Is there anything you. that we didn't want to share that we didn't cover? Um, I would just say how, if you're giving birth, get a doula for <laughs> sure. Get a birth doula, get a postpartum doula and doulas do all sorts of work. They do, there's death doulas. Oh, wow. There's doulas that, um, are there for people when they're doing any sort of gender affirming transition. Um, mm-hmm. there's doulas for everything. If you need 
support in a time of transition in life, there is a doula that exists for you. Do they have paperwork doulas for therapists? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I think that's called a secretary. Oh, that's <laughs> what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us. Yes. Thank you yeah, guys so fun. much for having me and yeah. having me on a Friday. And it was great. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, all right. yes. Where can people find out more about us? On all of our social media sites, which are? Why don't you tell us, Ryan? <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> okay, fine. You can find us on Instagram at um, worth the work. Worth the work underscore. You can find us on our website at worththework.net. You can find us on Facebook at Worth the Work with Amanda and Ryan. I think that's what it is. And I think our email address is worth the work counseling at gmail.com. I don't, I don't know anything. I've only been doing this. <laughs> but you can contact us on any of these. Like 22 episodes. We're really bad at self-promotion in case you hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. So what should people remember, Ryan? That they are worth the work. <laughs> Bye. Bye. So lame. <laughs>